Thank you, uh, thank you, Bernard. Okay. Well, thank you, Mark. For, you know, we we began these um, sessions. Maybe it was last August, was it, um, Mark? Maybe it was, somewhere around there. It was the last. It was the last Sunday in August. Yeah, and we have been in one Corinthians, really, just seeking to open up the scripture in 1 Corinthians about the church. Um, and I, I mentioned, I must have mentioned before, that, of course, the two great church epistles mm. are 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. And, of course, we owe it to Paul you know, that the Lord imparted to Paul an understanding of the church, which was quite particular, which has been so influential and uh, so fundamental and the wonder of the church. And now I'm fully aware that many of us have not been the recipients of a very happy and bless church life. Um, I'm aware of that. Some of us have been hurt in churches and we have been abused and we have abused and some of us have actually never had the privilege of really being in a time where even for a, a couple of years where days of heaven on earth were what we experienced. Hale and I have had the privilege on two occasions in two different countries to be in times where the Lord was pouring out his spirit and there was nothing but love and joy and deliverance and such a, a sense of the Lord's presence among us, um, a mutual care, uh, such rich times. And of course, when you've lived through such times, you, you realize just something of what Paul was trying to write about, what Jesus was talking about. And you know, I've wanted to say more about the church, really, from the Ephesian letter. And so if you you can begin, I suppose, instead of turning to Ephesians, you can, well, yes, you, why, don't, why don't you turn to Ephesians? You know, that would be all right. But start in the fifth chapter. Um, you know... Uh, in, in the fifth chapter, sh shall I say this just straight out to you and you can do some thinking about this yourselves. Uh, in the Ephesian letter, you find that Paul has an understanding of the church which has been granted to him by revelation. And on two occasions he writes about this that these things were granted to him by revelation. He didn't get them even from the Old Testament. He didn't get them 
from the college that he went to studying under Gamaliel. But they were revealed unto him. And essentially, of course, first and foremost, Paul was a great lover of God. At first, he didn't know that God was three persons in one being. He didn't know that. Uh, he was a Jew by background, but you must never, uh, you must never move away from the fact that he loved God. And you remember how when he first heard about Jesus and something rose up in him against Jesus. And you remember how Jesus was made known to him on the Damascus Road. And so he began to discover that God was Father and God was Son and God was Spirit. On the third day, you remember when he was blind and in the house in the street called Straight. And you can read how the Lord sent to him a very venerable, very faithful Jewish man who prayed for him. And he, the scales fell from off his eyes and the Lord spoke through that man and he laid his hands on him and Paul found that there was the Holy Spirit. He'd, he'd known about the Spirit, of course, from the Old Testament studies he would have done. But he, he came into this amazing community, fellowship with the community of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And, you know, it's tremendous how uh, you and I must always begin with God. You know, in the beginning, God. And in the beginning was the word, is the way John begins his epistle, his uh, gospel, isn't it? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that's where everything begins. And the church is for God. You must keep that very clear. Yesterday in the meeting that I had at uh, 6.30 with the Cyprus and the uh, Sri Lankan brothers and sisters, uh, I was speaking to them from the letter to, that Peter wrote, um, where Peter talks about us being a chosen generation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And you have this unusual phrase where God's special people, you might remember it, the church, God's special people, which is rooted back in the Old Testament. And I was saying to the people last night that in the Hebrew, you might remember that uh, when God called the children of Israel out of Egypt, 
I didn't call you because you're a big nation. I didn't call you because of this and because of that. Uh, in fact, I called you because you were less uh, than the least. I, I just called you and uh, that you should be my special people. And it, four times, it's three times in the Deuteronomy book and once in the Exodus book, God reminds them you're my special people and the hebrew is the people with whom i surround myself i i gather you as my nation around myself and the hebrew phrase the word is sigula you're my um sigula you're my special people and, of course, Peter takes up this um, in his letter, second chapter, and he says this, and it's very wonderful to keep that in mind, that God is calling you to himself. That is God the Trinity is calling you. He's not particularly calling you to go to heaven. Um, heaven wouldn't be much of a place to go to if God were not there. Uh, it's good to remember that. And, you know, I guess it'd be better than hell, but still, you know, to know God. And when God revealed to the blessed Paul about the church, he came to understand that the church, there's a way in which the church is for the Father. There's a way in which the church is for the Son. And there's a way the church is for the Spirit. That the persons of the Godhead each receive an inheritance in the church, an eternal inheritance that the father had been planning right from the beginning. And we are not sure whether at that point the son knew the plan in its fullness or the spirit knew, because we read in the first chapter of the Ephesian letter that, of course, God chose us in him that's the fourth verse of the fourth that according to his purpose and you can read those amazing verses in chapter one how paul just bursts out in his writing mm -hmm. of the wonder of the church you understand that that he's a man of revelation Revelation is different from instruction because true revelation is filled with awe and wonder. It is tremendous. It's not just something for the mind. It's something that is quite beyond the intellectual. It, it fills you with wonder. It transports you. And... So what is the church to the Father? And you will read it in the Ephesian letter. You will find that we're his family. 
And these very sim simple things. We're to become a family of sons. And it's very important that we all grasp straight away that God cannot be satisfied with people who are just born. Generally speaking, I would say that the churches of today um, are possibly quite filled with people who are not yet born of the Spirit. And those that are born of the Spirit, unfortunately, have not grown up much into sonship. Sonship implies maturity. There is no coming into sonship without suffering and sacrifice. Get that very clear. No coming into true sonship, um, into maturity. And one of the things that I would say to all of you who have been involved in church, it is comparatively easy to get people into the believing state where they begin. So, you might say, it's relatively easy to get them to say the sinner's prayer if they're, but it is quite another thing to see those people continue in grace until as they grow up, let us press on to perfection. So the Hebrews writer, chapter 6, let's press on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of this and that and the other. And so the father is wanting to surround himself with not a family of babies, but a family of sons. Uh, a family of sons, those who are mature. This is what he's working toward in your life, you see. He's wanting you to grow up and is quite prepared to take uh, you through even the, the shakings that shift you from all the troubles and trials and that, that where everything is for me, for me, for me, for me. You know, that's the teenage state. That's the adolescent state where everything's for me. That's the child state where everything is for me, the infant state, you know. But, of course, God is a God who is for us, for us, for us, for others, for his creation. He wants to grow us up into sonship. That's the Father. And you will, you will read about that in the Ephesian letter. You could do a theme through on that. And then, but there's that which is for the son, the church, for the son. And you can read about that. There, there are two ways in which the church is for the son. Um, where the son inherits something very wonderful when he has you. He has that which he inherits now. And 
that he's utterly thrilled about this. Like, I believe he's absolutely thrilled that when he gets hold of someone like um, those of you who are called Mark, those of you who are called Roger, those of you who are called, you know, Esther or whatever your name is or Ellen, you know, your names, excuse me from missing many names that are on the screen today but i just want to make it intensely personal i've got flesh for my body i've got flesh for my body you know because you know that he is enthroned on high Mm-hmm. in that wonderful glorified body of his yet he still wants to work down here yet he still wants to spread his wonderful heart through the nations and how shall he do that unless you know i finished the meeting uh uh, early this morning, the midnight Zoom, I finished at 2.30, I went to bed, and I was sitting in bed and uh, reading a book, you know, trying, waiting to when I finally dozed off, and I was just reading about a man named Cronin. Some of you never heard of him. Some of you will have heard of him, one of his friends, whose name was Anthony Norris Groves. And, um, you know, these these great sons of God who were members of Christ's body. And uh, I was feeling the thrill as I was reading over the way that Christ in the 1820s and the 1830s had flesh for his body and their wives and some of their wives died young and their children died young and they they went to Baghdad, Antinoris Groves and mm-hmm. Cronin went to Baghdad and others and then Antinoris Groves and others went down to India and into the Godavari Delta and some places that I know and have been to in the past and you know and into that place came the kingdom of God. It's wonderful and Christ is thrilled. I've got flesh for my body. <laughs> you know the church, the body of Christ. That's it. Flesh for his body tremendous but it doesn't end there for christ of course and you will if you trace through this ephesian book and just study the body the body the body and uh, read its non-identical twin epistle which is colossians where it, 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 the body, the body, Christ. The, the Colossian letter is the epistle about the head. And the Ephesian letter is the epistle about the body. The church is the body of Christ. And But it doesn't end there, because you know that Christ has something else from 
the church and in the church he he is inheriting something else and i think nearly every all of you ought to have run ahead of me on this one mm -hmm. and you should know that in the fifth chapter he tells you what that wonderful thing that the lord is inheriting in the church and one day i'm just thinking of nathan now and elise who got married nathan got his bride and he waited and they were married last week in lynchburg virginia amen and uh, the lord jesus is gonna get his bride amen the church the bride of christ the, the true queen of heaven amen the 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 virgin who conceives and brings forth there are many things to say and uh, you know so <laughs> the lord jesus you know no wonder you see the you know the theme of love of romance of um, it's wonderful the christ and the, the fish, fifth chapter, doesn't it, is a Christ loved the church. Isn't that right? Is that what it says? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Chapter 5, verse 25. Gave himself up for her. Praise the Lord. Do you know one of the things that he wants to do, and, and I feel I should say this, you know, some of us read the Bible to get something, you know. Now, one of the things that you'll find there in chapter 5 of Ephesians is this, that it says that the Lord Jesus, that he wants to wash and cleanse the church by the water of his word. And, you know, it is so wonderful. How do you feel when you hear Mark begin to pray at the beginning of this little meeting? Now, Mark might not think he's a very good prayer, but we're not talking about that because none of us think we're much good at anything. In fact, if you're a preacher and have been preaching more than 50 years, you feel you know less now than you did when you started and you're not doing so well. And I'll tell you, if you want to ask me the question what do you feel worst about your preaching i will tell you exactly i feel worst when i've finished <laughs> when i go to bed or when i sit quiet afterwards because mm -hmm. i feel i didn't do it justice i didn't do the wonderful message uh, i didn't give it the fullness so there were things you know that I was inadequate in. That's that's how I feel. You say, well, what do you feel best about preaching? Well, I'll tell you. When you move toward the, the thing, and your heart is full, and you and you get beginning, and you know that's that's wonderful. But as I say at the end, you know that I feel washed when I hear people read a scripture. Yes. 
I feel washed when uh, Hazel and I uh, each day have our little Bible reading and prayer together and, you know, you just feel washed. The, Jesus wants to wash us with his word. And you husbands, make sure your wives are listening to these messages because your wives need washing because they get dirty with all the anxieties of home and children and lives get filled up with all kinds of stuff. You know, children sort of occupy. Grandmothers get occupied with worry about their godless or wandering grandchildren. You understand? Mm -hmm. And you all, we all need washing. And he, Jesus is alive and he wants to wash you. And when you gather together on Sunday mornings and Bible studies, you know, um, and the things that you do, Understand that the chief purpose of a Bible study is not for the pastor to bring an agenda or someone else to bring his, his pet theory about the rapture or something like that. It's that Jesus should minister and wash us all with the sanities of his word. Don't you feel dirty? Mm -hmm. When you listen to the news sometimes, don't you feel dirty? When you pick up some of the claptrap that is coming through the advertisements, you know, oh dear, oh dear, it just makes you want to, if, you know, if there was another way of watching the sport, you know, we put my foot through the TV, you know, the garbage that's there. We all need washing, you see. And Jesus, he washes, he washes his bride so that he could cleanse her to make her someone who's spotless. That's what it, it says. And, and then so there's that, the bride for Christ. And then, of course, there is this, what is for the Holy Spirit, you know? When he gets a real church, glory. I tell you, brothers and sisters, he's thoroughly disappointed with some places called churches. He's thoroughly disappointed mm -hmm. because he doesn't get a look in. He doesn't get... A look in. He, he, he's not able to do anything there because they've got their programs, they've got their musicians, they've got their Bible school taught preachers whose minds are already pre filled. And you know, the, the Holy Spirit gets a temple. He's absolutely thrilled when he fills you and is being allowed to continue to fill you. I've got a mind that I can work through and worship and be the spirit of 
praise him. I've got a heart of, of emotional power and affectional power. I've got, I've got a soul. I've got a spirit in that man or woman that I can, I can commune with and through and unto the Son and through the Son to the Father. The Holy Spirit is utterly thrilled when he has someone, you, glory to God. I mean, just think of this privilege, eh? Just think of this, that you and I should be temples of the Holy Spirit. His temple. What do you want to do, Holy Spirit? What do you want to do in me, with me? Oh, I want to so turn you into a friend of God that you're a worshipper just like me. Worshipper of the Son and the Father. Lover, just like me. I'm the spirit of love, he says. And I, I want to make you to be part of that communion. I mean, it's tremendous, isn't it? Just to begin to think in these sorts of terms. What a wonder is the church. I reckon probably all we need is God. You can do away with all the paraphernalia. (laughs) You know, all we need is the blessed spirit to be working. You know... It's tremendous. And if I focus for the remainder of my time on this session, you know, not so much on the church, but if I focus in the fifth chapter, um, where it says that, I've already read it out to you about the husband, verse 23, chapter 5, being the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It's amazing. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever hates his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it as Christ 
does the church because we are members of his body. Um, I wonder how many of you have got another phrase after that in your in your version. Any, I wonder if any of you got it. So after the end of verse 30, because we are members of his body, have you got another phrase, some of you? Yeah. Of his flesh and of his bone. Some versions have that. Because some manuscripts, you say, where's that come from? Well, I can tell you that some of the um, manuscripts have got that in because some of the copyists, mm -hmm. some of the copyists were so rooted and grounded in Genesis chapter 2, where you read about of his flesh and of his bone. You remember who said that? Yes. You remember who said, this at last is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And, you know, some of them copyists would have just had that in their heads and maybe Paul did write that right at the beginning. It was in his head too because he was in the thrill of, you know, this wonderful Adam, Christ, the last Adam. Where's the church come from? <laughs> Where's the church come from? You know, where did Eve come from? Where did the woman come from? Wherever was she? Hey, you know, now I'm back in Genesis, aren't I? You know, where was she? Oh, she was in the mind of God. Where else was she? Oh, she was as God, you, you know how it says in Genesis 1. Let's turn there um, because, you know, we turn into Genesis 1 and we find that uh, God gives us the outline. And he says this, you know, on the sixth day, let's make man in our image, after our likeness. I won't read any more, you know, but it's wonderful to read it. So God created man in his own image, verse 27. In the image of God, he created him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them and said you you understand that god having created them he then had to bless them for them to be fruitful and multiply you do understand that it's not enough to be created you've also got to be blessed god had to bless them in order to make them multiply if i was to spend an evening on that one you see, that's why Jesus said to those precious men, uh, he said to them, now you wait at Jerusalem, don't you go around doing anything. 
Don't you go around doing anything, you men, you women, because you've got to receive the blessing. You can't multiply without the blessing. You tarry until you be endued with power from on high. You've got to receive the blessing. You see, it's all there right from the beginning. It's not enough that you're chosen, that you're created. You've got to receive the blessing. And let's all understand that day by day by day by day. Let Bernard understand that, that in 2021, it's no longer any good Bernard trading off blessing from 2020 or 2019 or 20 whatever you want to put in there you understand mm -hmm. Bernard I want you to be fruitful but you've got to receive the blessing fresh from my heart day by day by day by day by my spirit it's wonderful isn't it it's so fresh, you see. So you get the general outline. Be fruitful and multiply only after you've received the blessing, you see. Anyway, chapter two, of course, you get the detail of how God did it. So chapter one's the general outline, male and female. Chapter two, let's go into detail where God makes man. And where's she? Where's she? Oh, he, he makes man of the dust of the ground. It's moist. And he breathes into the nostrils. You all know this so well. But, you know, he's alone. He's solitary. But there's someone in him that's not visible yet. God... God knows. He doesn't know. Adam didn't know. He's only Adam, you see. But you must never think that the heavenly Adam, Jesus, because you do know that Jesus comes first, not Adam. Mm -hmm. You do know that. That in the mind of God, Jesus comes first. In the mind of God, you know, it was all purposed in the heart of God and you know, Jesus' bride was somewhere before the foundation of the world. This is one of the reasons, by the way, why you do not have to be in the image of your grandmother. Mm -hmm. And you do not have to perpetuate the habitual sins that have been coming down through your heredity. You You understand that you don't have to because you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Your heredity in Christ predates in the will of God. The lineage you came through, whether you were black, white, yellow, this, that or the other, let's get the truth into our hearts lest we get caught up with you know crt critical race theory and all the nonsense of black lives matter let's understand what the church is that we we had a 
a beginning in the mind and the will of God in Christ the Son. We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And that lovely lady, Eve, or became Eve, was hid there in Adam as God formed him of the dust of the ground. And you know what took place, how God took the man and put him in paradise. So I'm in Genesis 2. Verse 15, and it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat. And, you know, it would be wonderful to just do some slow meditation on on these simple things that God said. He took the man and put him there. And, you know, it's you may freely eat. And, uh, you know, then you read this word, don't you? For the first time, it's not good. <laughs> In chapter one, you've just been reading about it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. Do you remember? And then you suddenly hit this word, not good. Not good that man should dwell alone. Let's, let's make a help leap for him. So the Lord God, here it is, he gets to work forming. Verse 19 forming forming out of where out of the ground out of the ground out of the ground i mean you understand that i don't read anywhere about god breathing into the nostrils of the hyenas or the jackals i don't read anything like that i do read that he breathed into the nostrils of adam <laughs> but here it is, God gets busy forming the elephants and bringing them to God, to Adam. See what he would call them. And you know the the way it all goes on. I wonder how long it took. And then, of course, nothing satisfied. There was an instinct. This is not for me. Um, this isn't, it's wonderful. I mean, I guess the hyenas must have been quite wonderful in their pristine state. And, uh, you know, jackals and all the rest of it. But, you know, Adam named them. He exercised his prophetic ministry, his kingly ministry, his prophetic ministry that belongs natively to man and uh, in none of them was found a helper fit for him so verse 21 the lord god caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. 
and the rib which the Lord God taken from the man, from the man, from the man, he builded into a woman. That's the grip, the Hebrew, he builded her into a woman and brought her to the man. No independent in-breathing. The very same breath that sustained her was the breath of God that was breathed into Adam. And she was there hid all the time. And she came out of his side and God built her. This at last is flesh of my flesh and Bone of my bones, said the man, verse 23, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Wonderful. And all that was patterned on what God was going to do 4,000 years later. You know... It was already determined in God's heart. He knew that the original man, who wasn't yet historically brought forth on the earth, he knew that he would not lose a rib, nor would he be put to sleep on the ground but that he would uh, die a death and hang on the cross and that from his side would be taken his own bloods, his own wonderful life. He sleeps and from his open side the mingled blood and water flow they both give being to his bride and wash his church as white as snow. The church has no life separate from Christ. Christ is the church's Adam. Christ, his life, is the fount of her life. This we must learn, but slowly. We only learn this slowly. I wish we could learn it quickly. We come with our zeal and our expertise and our technology and now this and now that and the other and we try and drum up things and get things going. But I tell you, see there the quickening cause of all who live the life of grace beneath. God caused on him. You know, we have to see there at Calvary the quickening cause of all. Christ's, the quickening call of all. He is our life. 
He is the life of the church. He is the minister. He is the quickener. And about this, dear Paul will write, in some ways, somewhat obliquely, back in the Ephesian letter. And he will take you through in detail and take me through in detail. He will, he will show me in chapter one of Ephesians that I and you and every true member of the church was, and here it is, verse four, we've alluded to it already. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You were chosen before you were called. You were chosen before you ever heard anything of the gospel. You and I were chosen. Yea, before we were born, before we were born black, Italian, white, this, Chinese or other, whatever it may be, this again I say to you is why we do not have to be conformed to the fallen Adam. We can be delivered from sin. We can walk in righteousness because that's our beginning was beginning before the foundation of the world amen i know it has to be outworked historically that's why christ had to come that's why he had to live and and be and smitten at calvary and his side opened up so that the bride his bride his church had come forth tremendous things aren't they but you know i know that his blood had to be shed let's let's look at, at his blood shall we is there something about his blood being shed there there would have been no church without calvary there'd have just been a bunch of disciples a bunch of disciples, unbelieving disciples, not having the life in them. It would have just been a continuation of the Old Testament thing. Jesus would still be alive, surrounded by a bunch of followers. That's all. That's all. And no one would have had his life. No one would have had his life. You see, his blood had to be shed. You understand that men and women would have still been in their sin, following diligently. Even the best of them would have only been like Moses, who at the last account failed in his anger. And failed to enter the land of promise you remember it even the best the meekest of all that we could have ever been it's not enough you see 
The blood had to be shed. We've got to be redeemed out of the hand of the devil. We've got to be redeemed from sin. The blood had to be shed. That's why you read about it here. You read about Jesus' blood. He had to die. The blood had to pour out of him. Here it is, verse 7. You see, in him you were chosen. That's verse 4. In him you're redeemed through his blood. In him you, we have redemption through his blood. The blood had to gush out. It had to be poured out. The life is in the blood. The blood of a bull couldn't do it. The blood of a goat couldn't do it. Though there be a million sheep and lambs offered every week, it couldn't do it. It had to be a man for a man. A man's blood for your blood. You understand? Human blood. Spotless blood. Glory to God. You see, Paul is burning with this. He he understands, you see, that the life had to be given. Poured out the life. You know, when I read these things, I go over, of course, into chapter 2, and I, I find Paul has to mention the blood again. Verse 13, chapter 2. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. I've had occasion to say this before, you know, but, oh dear, Racial pride has no place in God's church, including Jewish racial pride. Mm -hmm. Jesus was only half Jew from his mother's side. From his father's side, he was not Hebrew. You know... Bless the name of the Lord, us Gentiles far away, brought near by the same blood. You know, all of us equally. It's wonderful. You know, but if you look carefully at this, what about chapter 2, verse 15? Because there in the 15th verse, we find that in, in all the days that he was living here on the earth, he was doing something. In the days of his flesh, he was abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments that were against us. You got that? Abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create 
in himself, one new man in place of the two, so making peace. I could spend time just on this, you know. Oh, I tell you, abolition of living to the evangelical code, the Hebrew code, the ritual code, Jesus was abolishing it all, doing away with it all, so that we're no longer living to codes. We're no longer living to codes, laws, commandments, because he was wanting to create in himself one new man. So making peace. He is our peace. And what about this? I'll have to rush. What about this? Because I find this about something wonderful going on in his body. Do I read something about his body? That he might reconcile us both unto God. You've got us chosen in him. We've got redemption through his blood. He's abolishing in his flesh the law that's against us. And that he's doing this in his body. He's making one new man. One body through the cross, bringing the hostility to an end. I always remember here in Exeter, many years ago, there was an American preacher preaching. And uh, his name I will not mention, but he was a New York Jew by background. Quite a famous man, you will have heard of him, some of you. And he went to the first meeting to preach. And he got up and he introduced himself and he said, I am a Christian Jew. Or did he say, I'm a Jewish Christian, I can't remember. And one of the young men in the church stood up. And he said, there's no such thing, brother. And uh, this man was taken aback. Mm, What do you mean? You're either a Christian or a Jew or a pagan. That's what the young man said. That's biblical. That's biblical. Jesus died to make one new man. And he's not a young man. So that everything's for the youth in the church. And he's not an old man. So that everyone's for the the old. And he's, (laughs) you know, one new man in his body. You know, Jesus was doing all this. One new man. Glory, glory, glory. Pride of race. Pride of riches. 
Do you know all these prides that get in the way? Do you know, in Christ, it means nothing that you've got five degrees and you're a professor of this or that and the other. Doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing. Where's your heart? Are you living in Christ? <laughs> One new man. Oh, the strut of the righteous Pharisee. No wonder they hated him. Oh, the strut. You know, I, I, I feel this, you know, I... I feel it so much when sometimes I look at, I even saw it on the TV a little bit today where you had this sort of, um, oh, we have our ordination from St. Peter. Came through Jesus. He gave it to Peter. You know, and we've got it through. And oh, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. You know, bless the Lord. You, life in Christ is everything. Anyway, let's rush on. You see, because you've got his his death, his his sorry, his flesh, his blood, his body. You know, uh, all this has got to be worked in the church. You know. And then if you look in chapter one, you know, isn't this a tremendous thing where it says, and this is very wonderful. It says the immeasurable greatness of his power, verse 19, in us who believe according to the working of his great might, which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, that's the one thing you and I can't do and couldn't do do you know uh, dead dead now you can't be raised unless you're dead now Jesus' death has been given to you and me he's died you know it's it's not his just his blood, it's not just his flesh, it's not just his body, but it's his death. His death belongs to the church and every member of it. Isn't it wonderful? Will you hurry up and die? <laughs> because you're dead. <laughs> it sounds a funny thing to say, I know, and I'm smiling as I say it, but it's a key thing. You know, when people rise up with their arguments. Have you been in church business meetings and, you know, someone comes with their agenda and they want to do this and do the other, you know? And they want to have their way and they really argue and fight if they don't get their way. Oh, that they should hear the Lord Jesus say, Die, you're dead already, accept your death sentence. Bless the Lord. You know, when at last, 
I mean, I know this is very difficult for us to to grasp, but you see, Adam kept on living until Jesus. You know, that's why sin carried on, generation after generation after generation after generation. That's why sin doesn't have to carry on in you, because Jesus has given his death to you. That death, that uh, that sinful man that you were, that sinful woman that you were, Jesus has given his death to us. You, the, the church has a death. I have seen that worked out. I've seen that death worked out in men and women, you know, where they found out that they were, they were crucified with Christ. They really were. And then it, it doesn't finish there, of course, because you understand that the church is not just the recipient of his blood and his flesh and his body and his death, but his church is also the recipient, chapter 2, verse 5, of his quickening, of his quickening. You know, my version says... uh, that he's made us alive. Even when we were dead, in trespasses, he's made us alive together with Christ. Isn't that tremendous? Quicken, the old version says. It's a lovely thing. How many of you, you know, you you should... um, (laughs) <laughs> let the Lord's word wash you, you know, and and sometimes you should sort of say, I mean, I I I was in some measure of pain. I've had, uh, cut my eye this week, and the side of my face been this, that, and the other, and my ear still is full of pain, and all the rest of it doesn't matter at all. But I had a wonderful time this morning. Hazel went off solo to church and I just sat with my New Testament and I was quickened again. Quickened. (laughs) You see, made alive together with Christ. You know, made alive. You know, isn't that wonderful? A daily reality. A quickening, quickening. I'm thinking of Paul, alive, not stoned with drugs or booze, but stoned outside the city gate. Do you remember the story? And then he's, he gets up in the midst of them, quickening. That was a physical quickening. I'm now thinking of a couple of friends of ours. He's gone to be with the Lord. His wife's still living. They were in PNG as missionaries years ago. And how he said they they were just quickened his wife. They were crossing a river and uh, he had his wife on, on his back carrying across the river and the river came suddenly and spate down and he was in danger of being carried and suddenly he felt the lifting power that carried him and his wife right onto the bank total miracle 
quickenings of different kinds, quickenings in our hearts, quickenings in our minds, quickenings in our bodies, you see, he's quickened. The church is the privileged place of experiencing the quickening power, you see, and the quickening power does this. So it's not only quickening power, but I go back into chapter one, and uh, I read this in verse 20, where it says that he raised him from the dead. He, the raising power, you see, the church should be raised above the oh, sleepy habit of meetings. I mean, some of you are feeling pretty sad, aren't you, in your, in your meetings? You know, you go there because the raising power is not there. You know, raise Christ from the dead. Tremendous. Resurrection, isn't it tremendous? I, I read about this. Uh, further down in chapter 2, you, you know, it says in verse 6, he's raised us. We're talking about the church, you see. Our whole identity, our whole life is wrapped up in Christ. Raised us up together with him. Raised us up together with him. Oh, the raising. The raising. Come on, be raised, my sister. You know, my brother. Be raised. Go on, let yourself be raised. Go on, agree. <laughs> agree with what it means to be church. Yes, believe it. Smile. Be glad. <laughs> you see, this is what it's all about. Uh, he's done all this, and this is what he is to the church today. Raised us up together with him. Paul is writing to church. He's saying to the Ephesian believers, he's raised us up to come together. Come on. <laughs> I was almost going to say, let's dance. <laughs> let's face the music and dance. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. There'll be music to face if you live like this. And then it doesn't end there, does it? Because doesn't your Bible say in verse 6, he's made us to sit together with him in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus. He's made us sit together. You know, I tell you, some of us were together the other day and, you know, there are times when I just want to say to some people, sit still. Just sit still. It's all been done. Stop screwing yourself up into all manner of tensions. Sit, sit together with him. 
in the heavenly places. Tell me, where's the earth? The earth is in the heavenly places. Is, is, the, is the earth safe? I mean, am I right in saying that tomorrow the earth will continue to rotate? That it will go around its due course? Am I right in saying that in the heavenlies, the almighty created God, sustainer of all things, has set everything in their courses and they will run their course until he says it's finished? Sit with him in the heavenlies then. Sit with him in the heavenly sister, brother. Sit together with Christ. He is your doorway into the place where you know God and the God is in total control of your past, your present and your future. That everything is, it's, it's not wandering, wandering. Wandering, it's fixed. Hallelujah. It's made us sit together, church. Sit with him. Sit still with him. From that place all his ministry comes. From that place of rest where you haven't got to worry about your sin anymore. You haven't got to worry anymore. He's done it. <coughs> Sit with him in heavenly places. Yes. Tremendous, isn't it? Oh, it's so wonderful to me. By the way, what happened before he... Uh, sat down I mean there's something for us I am right in saying that he ascended didn't he mm -hmm. I think I'll find Paul is reminding us of that too in chapter 4 I think that you will discover in the fourth chapter that the Lord, he's done this. Look at this. That he descended, verse 10, and he ascended. Paul got to this thought that uh, God has given us grace. He's given the church grace. Grace was given, verse 7, chapter 4, to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. 
in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? How about that? Is there anywhere where he hasn't descended? Did he descend deep enough to reach the person and skid row? Did he descend far enough? to turn a wretched, broken, sinful man in the grip of demons, sitting there in a heap? Did he descend far enough to get a hold of him and turn him into a gift? Did he do that? This is... This is what he's trying to say. This is what church is. This is why church is such a wonderful place. Because he descended first. He, underneath all the powers of darkness. He, he descended to the place where the devil had just brought people down into. Yeah, that's right. He descended first. And he ascended and he gave gifts. And he's given gifts. And that's why I think of a man who I first knew. And he was a practicing homosexual. Depraved. Depraved. And I remember the demons coming out of him as the gospel, as Christ reached him and God's choosing of him and God's working and delivering bloodshed in Christ began to reach him. And this man was loosed that evening from all and Christ in the historical moment of around about 1975, reached and all that Jesus had done in his descent to the lower parts of the earth became historically real in the life of that man and he was raised up and that man that evening was filled with the Holy Ghost and became a preacher of power and grace. He became a gift of grace to me and many others. God did it. This is what the church is all about. Hallelujah. He gave gifts to men. And we're all the same. Some of us may not have been practicing in a depraved thing. But I tell you, he descended first into the lowest parts to release us from the devil's claws. To make you into a gracious gift. To give you to the world. To give you, perhaps some of you, to give you and as an apostle, as a prophet, as an evangelist, as a pastor, teacher. I don't know. Let's not get stuck on terms. Let's just understand that he just wants to turn every one of us into a gift. That's grace. He ascended, having descended first. Hallelujah. And he's just wanting to turn us into, into gifts. 
that's verse 11 of chapter 4, isn't it? That we all become saints equipped for the ministry. Is that right? That's what Paul is talking about, where we're serving him and one another and grace is so working till we all come to that mature manhood. That's what he writes in verse 13, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? And then, you know, what's all this about? Finally, perhaps you're glad because it doesn't end here, does it? <laughs> because in the third chapter, verse 9, it says this, that it's all been given to make all men see what is the plan of the mystery hidden from ages in God, who created all things, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's wonderful. You see, it doesn't end here. Do you know, in him, you know, uh, I will be a, and you will be a manifestation. A manifestation to principalities and powers through all the ages. All the ages. So you can see, I hope from what I've shared, time to stop. We have no life apart from him. His blood is ours, his flesh, his body, his death, his quickening. <clears throat> His raising, his descending, his ascending, his giving of gifts, you know, it's, it's all ours. You know, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is church, my brothers and sisters. This is real church. Well, I tell you what to do, shall I? You do. If I may encourage you to do what I do. I may not have seen it much. But I pray for it. I long for it. And in my small way, I want to be part of it. Just a little pinprop, pinprick manifestation of it. That's it. That's it. That's it. So I give myself to it. I said to a man the other day in a meeting, and I said to him, take three minutes and lay down there on that carpet before God. Do it regularly. When you feel that impulse to worship, lay down on that carpet with your teeth 
Do you know what people used to call us in Exeter at a certain time? Did you know what they called our church? What fellow Christians called our church? Do you know what they called us mockingly? They're a bunch of carpet eaters. That's what they called us. Because God was so moving among us that virtually every meeting, all we wanted to do was lay down before the Lord and lay there and call upon him. We didn't even want to sit on a chair. Hmm. Hallelujah. It turns my mind to a meeting in a place called Lake Coronis, Minnesota. And I think of a meeting there where God was among us in that conference. And the, and the floorboards, uh, it, it, there was no carpet there. There was only floorboards and people sat in chairs and God was among us and moving and I'd finished speaking and it wasn't uh, appropriate to make an appeal. And I said, you just sit here as long as you want to. You just sit here and let God deal with you. And we sat an hour. We sat two hours. And one by one, I said, I'd said to them, you just leave when you feel that you've done business with God and he's done business with you. And one by one, people left until I was the last one there. That was part of my responsibility. It must have been one o'clock in the morning. And I walked up and down the rows of chairs. i never forget it. Up and down. There in many rows, there were pools of tears. As people had somehow done business with God. I don't know what it was. But uh, the Lord Jesus had done this kind of work in them. Hallelujah. Perhaps some of them had experienced his descending and he'd lifted them and he'd raised them. I don't know. Perhaps one of them that comes to mind is now a pastor in a large church in Minneapolis because of a work the Lord did in him there, and he realized that of whom <laughs> that he'd come out of Jesus' side. Wow. The blood and the water. Hallelujah. So there we are, brothers and sisters. Thank you for letting me share, Mark and others of you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's all you want to say, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I see one or two of you got your arms up in the air already. Well, amen. <laughs> That's the way to be. Yeah. That's the way to be. Thanks, Mark. Amen. Mm. Amen. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Bernard. We want, to, we want to respond to the Lord speaking mm. to our hearts. I want to encourage you to respond where yeah. you are. Do business with God to let Him do business with you. Lovely. If you want to, if you want to take the carpet position, feel free. <laughs> but the important thing is that you, we respond. 
Mm -hmm. Yes. We respond to the Lord. So, um, if, wow. a, if you want to lead us in prayer, yes. in pulling out their heart to the Lord, feel free to unmute yourself and and uh, let's respond to the Lord's word spoken to our hearts with clarity and power. Hallelujah. Yes, amen. 